right, good morning. Good to see you here today. I missed you all last week through the snowstorm, so I'm glad to see you here in person. You're a guest. We're glad you're here. If you need a Bible, raise your hand up real high. And then we will begin in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter number 26 is where we'll start today. I talked about this a little bit last week, but I believe we need to jump back in there this week. So again, to highlight even what was on the big screen there a minute ago, that God's desire is to rebuild or restore the foundation of many generations. And so you'll hear some stuff today about the way generational blessings and generational curses go to work. So let's just jump in here. Leviticus chapter 26, start with me in verse 39. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in their enemies' lands. They'll, they'll rot away, and it says, in, in their iniquities. Now, again, we've got to define the word iniquity. The word iniquity actually has the meaning, the motivation of my heart. And so there's something that drops in my heart. And so he says, first of all, we'll rot away in, in our personal iniquities. Then he ends in verse 39 and says, also in their father's iniquities. And so the father's iniquity is something that's handed down. So that word iniquity also has the meaning to bend or twist in a certain direction. And so watch what he, he ends this verse with, and it's, it's really uh, insightful. The iniquities of the fathers which are with them, they shall rot away. They are, they are with them. They go with them. In other words, I'm like I've adopted them into my own life. Verse 40. But if they would confess their iniquity and the iniquities of their fathers. So the Bible gives us incredible insight again here immediately that each one of us, we're, we're going to have some form of iniquity in my life. And so he said, if we would confess our iniquity and the iniquities of the Father. The reason we confess is that's the way we get forgiven. He goes on to say there in verse 40, and their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they have also walked contrary to me, that I've also walked contrary to them. So literally what he's talking about, because of our unfaithfulness and our defiance. We were defiant to God. We didn't do what he asked us to. Keep reading, verse 41. And I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled. Now when he talks about the uncircumcised heart, that, that's a hard-hearted person. My, my heart needs to be softened and so the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. And so every one of us, we have what we call a heart problem. The only one who cure my heart problem is Jesus. And he said, if their uncircumcised heart would be humbled. You know, the opposite of humility is pride. And God speaks specifically about that in 1 Peter 5. He said, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And so I believe this year, 2024, will be a year for the humble. If you're humble, you're going to attract God's grace. But if you're not humbled, it will be a year you will be humbled. And so when he talks about humility, uh, uh, with pride comes destruction and a fall or a crash. If I don't become humble before God, you might as well, you're going to crash. And so he's dealing with the heart here and he's saying, 
You got to become humble. Verse 42. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. Now, if you want to go back in history, these were the patriarchs of Israel. This verse right here, however, reads this in reverse order. Normally, you'll see it Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This time, you see it Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. And so the reason is this is the Lord is a generational God. This is what this is talking about. And God's desire has always been to bless through generations. So if Jacob's merit's not enough, then he said, then I'll just send you to Isaac. And if Isaac's merit's not enough, then I'll just take you back to Abraham. Now, if you were to look at it, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Bible said that God calls Abraham to prosper. Then he called uh, uh, Isaac to prosper, and it said he continued to prosper. Then when you get to Jacob, it said Jacob prospered until he continually prospered, and he was very prosperous. God is a covenant God. God wants to bless us generationally, and so we must walk in his commandments, okay? Now, turn with me way back into the New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll be in the New Testament just for a little bit, and then we'll jump back into the Old Testament. And so we begin in 1 Peter chapter 1. Once you get there, look with me in verse number 17. If you're a note taker, get ready. You're watching by live stream. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. And some of you say, well, what's new? Verse 17. And if you call on the Father. You know, to call on the Father, all that's talking about is to pray. But for you and me to call on the, uh, on the Father, that's humility. And the reason he gives us that invitation, you can't do everything in your own power and your own might, okay? So he says here, call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Now, if you read that right there, every one of us in here, without partiality, you and me are going to be judged for what we do right here on earth. There are no exemptions. So we're going to be judged. He goes on to say, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And so he gets over on our conduct and he said, conduct yourself. Live each day with a holy fear of God. In other words, conform to the standards of God instead of the standards of the world. And remember he said about your conduct. My conduct must be a big deal to God. Verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible thanks. Now, the word redeemed means to be bought back. It means to be repurchased. And so he gives us a little insight here and he says, you were not redeemed with corruptible thanks. Now, I want you to know what you're not redeemed of, okay? He said, you're not redeemed with silver or gold from your aimless conduct. Now, when he says you weren't redeemed with incorruptible silver or gold, think about this just for a minute here. Silver and gold are some of our most precious resources. Wouldn't we agree? Yeah. How many of you in here would like a bar of gold today for free? Every one of us. And so those are some of the highlights of, of the wealth of our society. But he goes on, 
You weren't redeemed with silver or gold. And notice he said, from your aimless conduct. Into verse 18. The aimless conduct that you received by the tradition from your fathers. So the aimless conduct that was upon your fathers has come upon you is what he's talking about. Now it's interesting, this is generational stuff that begins to happen. But he goes on to tell us in verse 19 what we're redeemed from or with. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so man's greatest need is for salvation. And when I get born again, it gives me human worth and divine destiny. That's the greatest need of every one of us in here. You got to get born again. You got to get Jesus into your heart. He's the difference maker. So we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus through our aimless conduct from the traditions of our fathers. It's very important that we begin to learn and understand everything that the, the, the blood represents. The blood of Jesus washes me from sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses me. Now, I'm just going to prepare you. In the upcoming weeks, man, we're really, we're going to just, we're going to tear up the blood of Jesus in a good way. We're going to learn biblically what that looks like more and more and more. But I encourage you, just say, Father God, I thank you for your son's blood. I stay under the blood day by day by day. The next book to your left is the book of James. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Now, as you turn to James 1... I'm going to highlight several times today what the Bible means about a cross-reference. And so you can be in one passage of Scripture, and it'll cross-reference you to another. Almost every passage that I'm going to read today is cross-connected back and forth through the New Testament and the Old Testament. This is one of them that's cross-connected. Okay, look with me in James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted... I am tempted by God. Now, temptation actually has a meaning of it's an enticement to evil. So he says, you can't be tempted by God. It's not from God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. A truth we must get. God does not solicit any of us to evil. To, to make that plain and simple, God does not want to try to trip you up. The devil's goal is to your downfall. God's desire is for your development. So God is not behind evil temptations, okay? We got that. Verse number 14. But each one, we might as well say every one of us, okay? Each one of us is tempted when he is drawn away, how? By his own desires. I'm led astray by my own desires. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth, or each one's own desire, he's tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And so what that means is the devil tries to arouse our desires and our weaknesses. In other words, the devil's been watching your game film. 
He knows your tendencies. He knows your weaknesses. And what I found about the enemy, he doesn't attack your strengths. He'll go after your weaknesses. That's what he does. Verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, it desire gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. And so when sin is allowed to grow, it ultimately, it births death. Now I heard presented this way and it's really good. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby named Sin. And when Sin is full grown, it kills. Now this is what he's talking about right here. And so the, the, the desires try to get us as human beings it tries to influence us to, to settle that desire. Now, each one of us have desires. There's legitimate desires and there's illegitimate desires. The illegitimate desires is when I try to fulfill those desires without how God tells me to do it. And so that's not good. And so the devil is going to try to influence me and you. He's going to try to work on your desires over and over. Sometimes it's, it's through my thoughts. Sometimes it's, it's through what my eyes see. And you'll see all this play out today. But look at verse 16, what James ends with. Do not be deceived. Don't be misled. Don't, don't be thrown off course. Don't be led astray. And he ends and says, my beloved brethren. He's talking to us as people that are born again. And he's given us a warning. Don't, don't kid yourself. You can be deceived. You can be misled. In other words, he's putting a warning in here. Guard your heart. Guard your life. Okay, got a little foundation set today. We went real quick. Go back into the Old Testament to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel 11, that's back in the first part of the Old Testament. And so we get to a passage here, and it's about a guy named David, better stated, King David. The Bible said that King David was a man after God's own heart. It says in Acts 13 that he was a man that did the will of God. He was a great man of God. But I'm highlighting something right here. Just because he was a man after God's own heart, he could still be deceived. He, he wasn't above temptation. And neither are any of us, okay? And so when we start here in 2 Samuel 11, King David has now been king for 20 years. Verse number 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. Now, just stop right there and, and let's, let's highlight what the Bible said there. In the spring, what were kings supposed to do? You can answer, it's okay. You're to go out to battle. That's what the Bible said. So David is king. So he's supposed to go out to battle. Yes, yes, pastor, that's true. Keep reading. That wasn't a trick question. And David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon. And they besieged Rabbah, 
but David remained at Jerusalem. David doesn't go to battle. David doesn't fulfill his responsibility. Now, here's something that plays true for me and you. When we're not at where we're supposed to be at, or we don't do what we're supposed to do, oftentimes that opens the door for a temptation to try to pounce. How many of you have ever been somewhere where you knew you weren't supposed to be? And how many of you have ever done something you know you weren't supposed to do? And so literally when we do that, we're opening the door through stuff. Now before I read verse 2, let me highlight something. What we read just a minute ago in James 1 verses 13 through 16, that is the exact cross-reference from chapter or verse 2, what we're getting ready to read. Exactly. Our desires bring the temptations that come after us. Verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed. He walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So, temptation for King David begins with what we would say just a small look. But what he didn't realize, that little looky-looky was the hook that would lead to an incredible downfall in his life. Now, when I read this, King David never, never, never understood where that one look would ultimately take him and what it would ultimately do to his children, just like us. And so that one look began to stir an imagination in his own thought life. And so what happens here is with that one look, when it's entertained, temptation will pounce. So King David puts himself in a very vulnerable position. And the result would be costly. Now there's a little phrase in there that caught my attention every time I read it. One evening. One, just, just one evening. And, and this wasn't an immoral man. This was a godly man. But just in that little phrase, just one evening, he never knew where that would go because he didn't guard his heart. Just, just that one evening. And so I, I highlight that with everyone. I got to guard my heart. Again, I highlight. We never know where those one little bitty areas of our life where, where we get off can lead to. Verse 3. So David sent and inquired about the woman. Another step of progression. He begins to inquire. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? In other words, hey, king, she's a married lady. And king, you're a married man. And her husband, Uriah, is one of his most loyal soldiers. And so they're trying to help King David. You got to get back on track, King. But man, desire is working on him. Desire is going after him. 
1 Corinthians 6.18 says this. It says, flee sexual immorality. Hmm. Flee sexual immorality. Everything outside the biblical covenant of marriage is an illegitimate union. And so if you try to fulfill that desire and you're not in a marriage covenant, it's an illegitimate union. Thank you for being excited. I'm going to tell you the truth even if you don't want to hear it. And he said, flee sexual immorality. It's a sin that you sin against your own body. So when you get over in that, and you can, okay, but it will lead scars on you emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. Here's a good one for all of us, but even if you're young. 2 Timothy 2.22, all of them are twos, that's why it's easy to remember. It says, flee youthful lusts. It doesn't say flirt with youthful lust. It says flee. The word flee means run. The word flee is like Usain Bolt in the 100 meters. Run, run, Forrest, run. So I heard 2 Timothy 2.22 presented this way. You are either chasing or you're being chased. Wow. So here's King David. He doesn't flee. Now, in no way am I getting after King David, okay? It's just a point of reference for us. Verse 4. Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her purity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I'm with child. And David said, son of Abednego, uh-oh, uh-oh. My one evening stand didn't go like I planned, uh-oh. And so at this uh-oh moment, he has the opportunity, he can go before Father God and say, Father God, I blew it. I confess my sin, but he doesn't do that. He does what human nature is, and human nature says, I, I got to cover my sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who covers his sin won't prosper. Numbers 32, 23 says, your sin will find you out. So he begins to scheme. So you know what he does? He plots on how to have Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, killed. So he ultimately has him killed, and it just shows the progression of sin in his own life. Not good. So King David, he goes over a year in his life, and he won't repent. Now, the longer we go in our lives without repenting, the harder my heart gets. Again, the issue of the heart is the heart of the issue. And so God loves King David so much, he sends a man of God named Nathan to confront him about his sin. And if you have someone that comes into your life to confront you about sin, you ought to tell them thank you. Because when you see a, a man or woman of God to come to you to confront you about sin, those are people that don't want to tell you what you want to hear, they tell you what you need to hear. 
So, so Nathan goes at King David. But he's pretty strategic how he does it. So he begins to tell King David this story. And he said, King, there were these two men. One of the men had one little you. The other man had multiple views. He had many yous. And he said, the man who had multiple yous, he went and killed the one who only had one you, and, and he took her you. Well, King David's hearing this. Turn with me to chapter 12. He hears it. It irritates him. It infuriates him. And you know what he says out of his mouth? He said, the man who did this should die. And the man who, should, who did this should restore fourfold. Chapter 12, verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, you're the man. You're the man. He points, you're the man. That's you, King David. Now he puts the ball back in his corner. You're the man. Now, before... David reacts to everything. I want to read starting in verse 9. Because through Nathan the prophet, he pronounces God's judgment on him. Now watch this. Verse 9. Why have you despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in your sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. So he lets him know there's no partiality with God, remember? Verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah Hittite to be your wife. And so when he says that, he said killing and murder will plague your family. He said, because of your choices, it will never leave your household. And it didn't. This is what took place. Verse 11. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. That happened. Verse 12, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel, before the sun. And so from that day forward, David's family would be plagued with rape. They would be plagued with murder. They would be plagued with lust. They would be plagued with rebellion. I mean, it's incredible everything that took place in his family bloodline. Now I go back. Never, never, never in one thought, just that one little look would lead to what it did. That's what sin does. It deceives us. And it deceived him. So he hears all this. Verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I've sinned. And listen to what he says. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Do you know in their custom, for, for murder and for adultery, he should have died. And the Lord said, he forgave you. Now understand this, God will forgive you, but there's still consequences for your actions. 
Still consequences. I think you guys can handle one more passage of scripture. We got to get here, okay? Go with me to the 51st Psalm. Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Ooh, this is a good one. If you hadn't taken any notes today, this, this is where you need to take some, okay? I say this because in my own life, I've wore this passage out. The subtitle in my Bible in chapter 51 is the Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him. Okay? So we begin in verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your love and kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. He's, he's asking God for mercy. So immediately you see uh, not only a change of his heart, but you see in here humility. Father God, I, I got to have your mercy. You know what mercy means? I don't get what I deserve. Father God, I need your mercy. Mercy. Have anybody ever pleaded for mercy? Father God, I need your mercy. So before we end in verse 1 and jump to verse 2, I got to highlight something. I want you to watch the mice, okay? Watch the mice. Blot out my transgressions. The word transgression literally means my trespasses. In other words, the places where I wasn't supposed to go, I went. So he said, blot out my transgressions. Listen to this. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, the motivations of my heart, and cleanse me from my sin where I've missed the mark. And, and so when we read verse 2, He took ownership of all three aspects of his life. He's repentant what he's doing. My transgression, my iniquities, my sin. Keep reading. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. When he says my sin is always before me, it's like he's saying, my sin haunts me day and night. Have any of you ever been there? I've been there. Where sin just, it haunts me day and night. It's like I, I, can't, I can't get away from it. He goes on to say, verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned. And done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge me. So King David recognizes his rebellion. But he does something that's huge. He sincerely, truly, and humbly repents of his sin. And if you notice something in here, he doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't try to blame anybody. He, he's not half-hearted. He accepts full responsibility. And I believe he's opening up his heart to, before Father God. Father God, I blew it. I blew it. Same chapter, verse 9. He asked Father God, he said, Father God, hide your face from my sins and blot out or erase my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. 
Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. I believe it's the message translation that says, shape a Genesis week in the chaos of my life. You know what the word Genesis mean? A new beginning. He said, Father God, shape a Genesis week in the chaos of my life. What, what, a, what a statement. And then he goes on to say, and, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't, don't let me bend or succumb to these temptations. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Now, when I begin to read everything he asked for, he's revealing what's so important in his heart. And notice he didn't say, whatever you do, God, don't kick me out as being king. Father God, don't take my titles. Don't take my position. Don't, don't take my, my money. Don't take my home. To, no, if I look what he said, that was the most important things. He said, create in me a new heart. And then he said, renew me with the right spirit. Restore me the joy of my salvation. Uphold me. When he said, restore the joy of my salvation, this goes back into Revelations where the Lord said, many times he said, come back to your first love. Come back to Father God. So I, I, I don't know what this does to you, but it, it moves me to see this, this man of God who messed up to say, I'm, I'm coming back to the presence of God. I, I got to have God. Now, in the next coming weeks, I'm, I'm going to get more. You might as well start reading Psalm 51 because I'm going to read more. There's so much more in there because a lot of it comes back to the heart. A lot comes back to the heart. See, the problem with the Jews, they, they would sacrifice they, they would partake of all the feast, but their hearts were never in it. That's what's wrong with them to this day. And I'm not being critical of them. But see, I can get in that. I can say, well, I went to church today. Well, duh. Where's my heart? You know, we used to sing the song, Lord, break my heart with what breaks yours. Why don't you stand up here today? I hope this makes some sense to you. Man, don't miss the next few weeks. I, I believe God's restoring generational bloodlines. I really do. I want you to bow your head right there where you're at. And you're the only one that knows the condition of your heart today. But you know, the Lord, he makes his heart clear to us. He said, I... I love this, the world so much that I gave my only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him not perish but have everlasting life. And see, many people will say this, well, I'll come to the Lord when, when I get my life all figured out. You'll never figure out the, your life without the Lord. You're, you're missing the first, the first step that I gotta take. still forgives and Jesus still saves I'm just going to ask you to bow your head right there close your eyes if you're here today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life or you're here today and you're like what David was when he said Lord restore to me the joy of salvation Woo! if you're in either one of those categories 
I, I welcome you. Don't, don't be ashamed. I welcome you to just to get out of your seat and, and come forward and say, that's, that's me. That, that's me. I need to give my heart to just, maybe, maybe the, there is no joy. You're, 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 you're serving God, but while you're serving God, it's like you got the emergency brake on. It just won't go. That, that may be you today. Say, man, I, I, I need a dose of that. Is there any more? Don't, don't be ashamed. This is a safe place, okay? I don't have a, I don't have a taser in here. I'm going to tap that, okay? We love people around here. Got a bunch coming here. You know what? I, I know a lot of these that know Jesus, so... So it's a good thing to, to reconfirm yourself. Anybody else? If you got something in there with you, just grab their hands like these did. Just grab their hands and say, we're, we're coming forward. Come on, come on. You know what? Sometimes I can get a little stubborn. Just ask my, ask my wife. I, I just sense God wanting to do something right here. Let me reiterate something. God loves you, okay? God loves you. And we, we celebrate this day. may be one of the first times in my life that God's proud of me for being stubborn. <laughs> this is a good stubborn. I'm going to ask you to do something here. If you have a family member or friend down here, I, I welcome you. Just come stand behind them. And, and if they don't have anybody, I welcome our prayer teams. Well, just come down here instead. It's going to be a good day. We're going to release the kingdom of God in you. God, God's going to save you. God's going to do a work in you. all these families coming down goodness of God we celebrate this hallelujah you two are, are you two getting married today wow that's what I thought hey listen, listen to this they're, they're getting born again on February 18th and they're getting married on February 18th oh wow Happy day. It's a good day. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do, all of us. We can raise our hands to heaven. But you who came to accept Jesus, you're going to have to say this, okay? So I'm going to lead you through a prayer. You, you say this. You may want to touch your heart. You may want because God's going to move here, okay? So say this with your, your, your mouth and from your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you as a sinner. I've sinned, Father God, and I take full responsibility for my choices. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to wash me in your son's blood. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be Lord of my life. I thank you on February 18th of 2024, my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Come on, let's clap. Let's clap. What a day, huh? What a day. Now, you guys can just...
stay down here. I just want everybody to bow your head. Because sometimes in our lives, we, we get misled. We get off course. Thank God for the Word of God that it just gives us truth on what we need to do. So I, I, I welcome you. Just close your eyes and, and just, just between you and the Lord Jesus. You say this from your heart. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my transgressions. My iniquities. My sin. Only against you, Father God, have I sinned. Father God, right now, we ask for your touch upon each one of us. Lord, we, we speak the blood over the house of God, the people of God. We speak the blood over our children, our bloodlines. Lord, we ask you to grace us right now that we be generational history makers. That there be a, a kingdom move of God. And Father God, through your grace and your mercy, that, that our, our bloodline is not impacted and and. and and move to the areas of sin, but it's moved in honor and obeying you and living for you. And so, Lord, we welcome a grace and a mercy. Help us, Father God. We put on the robe of you. Help us, Father God. Help us to be godly. Help us to move in our homes. Help us today, Lord. Come on, let's clap to the Lord. That's God. That's God. It's the goodness of God. Wow. Kind of hard for me to end today, but I'm probably going to have to. So you got to come back next week, same same channel, same time, and we'll pick back up. God's God's working, okay? God's working. Come on, let's clap here. Let's clap to the Lord. You can go back to your seats. I hate to do that. I was kind of having fun. <laughs>